Good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Happy early 4th of July, Independence Day. Um, let's start with a word of prayer together. Carolyn, you okay? Yeah. Okay. I didn't that <laughs> Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much that we get to celebrate Independence Day together. Thank you, God, that we get to join each other, to encourage each other, to love each other, because we're encouraged by you and we're loved by you, God. And I pray, God, that you would speak your word today. I pray you would speak through me. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our understanding and that we would be led by your Holy Spirit and that your message for us today would be burned onto our hearts as we go about our lives through this week. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, this is our fourth week in our series on the book of Acts. And so we've been looking at how the book of Acts shows us what it looks like to belong to the way of Jesus. You know, those who belong to the way of Jesus, in our passage today, we see the first time that they're called Christians. But before that, they were just known as those who belong to the way. So in Acts, what do those who belong to the way look like? When we look at how they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're bold in the name of Jesus. They're forgiven and they're forgiving. But what else? They're encouraging. They're encouraging believers in the sense that they have the quality of being encouraging, but they have the action of encouraging other people as believers. So let's look at our passage today. It's Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Now it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, 
when we read this, when we read about the early church, I have to ask you the question that I'm sure we've all asked ourselves sometime before. And that question would be, why do we go to church? Have you ever wondered that, wondered that before? Why, why do we go to church? What's the point? I mean, I don't have to come to church to listen to worship music. I'm sure I can find some worship music on CDs or stream it online. I don't have to come to church for a sermon. I'm sure I could find that online as well. I'm sure I could find a different preacher exactly who I want to listen to preaching the message that I want to listen to. So why do we come to church when all the things that we come to church for we can do by ourselves and have on our own? Well, I think Paul gives us a good answer to this question in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, what does Paul say? Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He said, there's one thing I can't do on my own. I can sing hymns on my own. I can read the Bible on my own. But I cannot be encouraged on my own. And I cannot encourage other people on my own. He said, I long to see you so that we can mutually encourage each other's faith. Your faith encourages my faith. My faith encourages your faith. And that is a huge reason. It's not the only reason, but it's a huge reason why we go to church, so that we can mutually encourage each other in our faith and by our faith. So in our passage today, we learn about encouragement, but we also learn what encouragement looks like. What does encouragement look like in the church? What does encouragement look like in the body of believers? Well, the first thing that we learn about encouragement in our passage today is that encouragement defies expectations. It defies expectations. So when you encourage someone, you may have some expectations, right? I'm going to encourage them. It'll make them feel nice for a little while. But sometimes you don't realize how much God is going to use your encouragement. And we see that at the beginning of our passage. Because these men from Cyrene and Cyprus are the first people to actually speak to the Hellenist about Jesus. So you may be wondering, what is a Hellenist? Some of your Bibles may say the Greeks. Some of your Bibles may say Gentiles. Well, that's essentially what a Hellenist is. It's somebody who speaks Greek that's not a Jewish person. So to make it simple, basically, they were speaking the message of Jesus to Gentiles. Now, this had not been done before as far as they do. You may say, well, what about Pentecost? They spoke the message in all those different languages. Yes, but that was still to Jewish people who spoke those languages. So there's a reason that the people who were scattered because of the persecution that we saw weeks ago that happened to Stephen, there's a reason that they're only speaking the message to Jewish people, and that's because Jewish people were taught and considered Gentile people unclean. But what happened in chapter 10, the chapter right before this, is that Peter had a vision, and he learned to not call unclean what God had called and he realized, hey, we're supposed to take this message out 
to everybody, not just Jewish people, but they don't know that. These people from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're not in Jerusalem with Peter. They do not know what to expect. As far as they know, this is the first time that this has ever happened to preach this message to Gentiles. So they may have some small expectations, but what they do defies expectations. Because what happens? It says a great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. Now they might have hoped that this would happen, but this is going far beyond what anybody could have expected after speaking about Jesus to people who did not even have a hope or expectation of a Messiah in the first place. And so what we learn from these men from Cyprus and Cyrene is that when we encourage people, it defies expectations in the sense that we have no idea how God is going to use it. Now it says, the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was using their encouragement towards people to turn to the Lord. And he was doing great works through it that they may not have expected to happen. But when you encourage someone, when you encourage someone, you have no idea how deep, how far, how wide that encouragement is going to go in that person's life. I mean, you just don't know what it's going to do for them. I brought with me today some letters. Now, these are some letters that I've collected since I was in high school. Some of these go back to as early as 2008. So some of these are 11 years old. And when people wrote them to me, notes of encouragement, they might have thought, well, I'm just you know, writing Cody a little note of encouragement. It's not a big deal. You know, keep it, uh, and then he'll just probably throw it away. Do you think they realize, do you think they know that 11 years later, I still read their letters, that when I'm feeling discouraged, that I'll take out their notes of encouragement? I don't think they realize, I don't think they know that I'm still reading their notes of encouragement 11 years later. But I still do, and it still has a profound impact and their encouragement that they gave to me through those notes and those letters, guess what? The hand of the Lord used them in my life to encourage me and strengthen me. They may have had some expectations, but their encouragement went beyond what they could ever know that it did for me. And when you encourage people, you have no idea how much it helped them. Those people certainly didn't know. I was too much in shock that I received a letter at all to express to them how grateful and thankful I was. So even when you encourage someone, you may not see on their face, you may not know how it ended up affecting their lives, but know that if you encourage someone, the hand of the Lord can use it in ways that you cannot even comprehend or imagine. So. Encouragement defies our expectations, but what else does encouragement do? It brings us together. When you're encouraged by someone, doesn't it bring you closer to that person? Think about what happened in this passage. When the Jerusalem church heard what was going on, who did they send? When they heard that the church in Antioch was growing rapidly, they sent help by sending a man named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is not his real name. His real name, when you read the book of Acts, is Joseph. Why do they call him Barnabas? 
Well, it says that the apostles, the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was known for his encouragement. And what's the first thing the Jerusalem church did when they found out that the Antioch church was born and was growing? They sent their best encourager. And when he came there, what did he do? He helped them to grow in their knowledge and their understanding. And he encouraged them, what? To stand firm in their faith. And what else did he do? He was growing so rapidly that he went out to get help. And whose help did he go and get? Well, over 10 years ago, a man named Saul led a persecution against the church that was part of the reason why most of these people were in Antioch in the first place. But since then, Saul has become a believer. He's met Jesus and he's become a Christian. And that is who Barnabas goes out to bring back to Antioch to encourage the church. So we see someone who persecuted the church. We see people who were persecuted by them. And what happens? We see them all learning together for a year. Barnabas and the church were enemies with Saul. Now they're on the same team. They're together. They're mutually encouraging one another. <coughs> Barnabas encourages Saul here by going out and finding him and bringing him back as a teacher. But earlier in Acts, when the disciples weren't sure if Paul was actually the real deal, Barnabas stuck up for him and said, yes, he did meet Jesus, and I can vouch that he is speaking on behalf of Jesus. So all of these people are brought together through their mutual encouragement of each other. I'm sure you all remember Columbine. I'm sure you all remember April 20th, 1999, what was then known as the worst school shooting in history. Two students, Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold, approached Columbine High School and opened fire. And the first girl that was killed in Columbine was a girl named Rachel Joy Scott, only 17 years old. Now, the amazing thing that happened after the Columbine shooting that Rachel Scott's mother met Sue Klebold, the mother of Dylan Klebold. So the first girl who was killed, her mother met one of the shooters. And she said, when I met her, I realized that we both lost a child that day. Except in her case, she was dealing with all the shame, all the anger, all the hate, all the guilt. And Rachel Scott's mother was a believer. She's a Christian, and so she said, Lord, what should I say to this woman? I don't know what to say to this mother of someone who killed my daughter. And she said, the Lord told me to ask her, who was your son before April 20th, 1999? And she said, Sue's eyes filled up with tears. And she said, nobody wants to know about my little boy that I raised. And she said, at that moment, I saw a mother's heart. And I knew I felt the same way in my heart about Rachel that she felt about <coughs> Dylan. Now, a mother of a murdered child was brought together with the mother of one of the children that murdered her. How did that happen? Well, it happened because 
Rachel Scott's mother took the time to encourage this other mother. By our standards, she should be angry and hate her. And yet they were brought together because she chose to encourage her. She chose to ask, Lord, how can I give her hope in this moment? How can I show her that she's cared about? When you encourage someone, you immediately change the relationship and there is no going back. When you encourage someone, it can't help but change the relationship. And if there's someone whose relationship you need to be changed today, if you have a relationship that you know needs to be changed, maybe you need to encourage that person because encouraging people can't help but bring you closer together. If it can bring two mothers, the mother of a murdered girl and the mother of her murderer together, then yeah, it can bring anybody together. So encouragement defies expectations. Encouragement brings us together. But as in the case of Rachel Scott's mother, encouragement shows that we care. If you want to show that you care about someone, encourage them. Think about it. When this prophet from Jerusalem came to the church in Antioch, he said, a great famine is going to take place across the world. Basically, the known world was Rome. That's how Rome talked about itself. We are the world. So basically in Rome, there's going to be famines all over the world. And Luke even says, this happened under Emperor Claudius. We have historical records of this famine taking place. But at this point, this is something that's going to happen in the future. And so what happens? The church in Antioch sends relief to the church in Jerusalem. Why did the church in Antioch send relief to the church in Jerusalem? Because they cared about them. Why did the church in Jerusalem send Barnabas? Because they cared about them. Barnabas was the church in Jerusalem's encouragement to Antioch. Famine relief was the encouragement that Antioch sent to the church in Jerusalem. We see that they care about each other. We don't have to hear them say, I care about you. We know because of their fruit. We know because they showed it. They showed that they care about each other. I remember when I was a senior, or actually, no, a freshman in college, totally new to college, stressed out of my mind, my roommate tells me that one night, you know, we had these bunk beds that kind of faced each other. So one night in the middle of the night, what did he see? He said he saw me having convulsions and shaking. And he said, Cody, stop. But I kept convulsing and shaking. He said, Cody, stop that. Stop. Now, I don't remember any of that happening. All I remember is waking up in an ambulance. My roommate, Michael, said, Cody, Cody, you had a seizure. And I, groggy and tired and weak, said, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't have seizures, and fell back asleep. And I woke up in a hospital. And I woke up in the bed, and Michael said, Cody, you had a seizure. And I said, no, I don't, I don't have seizures. And I fell back asleep. But when I woke up and got a little strength back, I couldn't really deny what was going on anymore. Something had gone terribly wrong. Since then, I've gone to doctors, and they said, well, maybe it's a seizure. 
Maybe it's a night terror. They did epilepsy tests on me. And we don't know. Maybe a night terror, but whatever it was, I didn't know what was going on. I was scared and I was nervous. What happened to me? When somebody tells you you were shaking and convulsing in the night and you don't remember it, yeah, you feel pretty discouraged. And all throughout that day, I felt incredibly weak and sick. One of the weirdest experiences of my entire life. But that was also one of the happiest days of my life. How is that possible? Because when I was wheelchaired out into the lobby on the way to the parking lot, I saw an entire lobby full of friends. I saw an entire lobby full of people that I went to college with. I saw my parents who lived three hours away and who were willing to come all the way three hours to Marshall, Texas to be with me. My friends who were willing to skip class, skip breakfast, skip whatever they had planned just to be with me. And that was encouraging to me. It gave me hope. It showed me that I was cared about. Encouragement comes in so many different forms. There's so many different languages of, of encouragement. But encouragement all means one thing. I care about you. I love you. And I knew that I was so cared about that day. Now, I should not have been happy on that day. And yet I was because I was encouraged. And that was so much stronger than anything bad that could happen to me on that day. So when you encourage people, you inevitably show people that you care about them. But the question is, how and why can a group of Jewish believers go out to people who are so different than them and still share their faith with them and encourage them to, to believe in the Lord. How can a mother whose daughter has just been murdered encourage the mother of one of her killers? How and why can a group of people who have busy lives leave all of that and come and be there for an 18-year-old boy who's scared, confused, in the hospital? Well, once again, Paul gives us the answer to that. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What did he say? He said, I am able to comfort you in your afflictions because God came down and comforted me in my afflictions. And how did he do that? He took on the form of a man named Jesus. He went into our affliction so that he can encourage us and comfort us. And when we see Jesus, we are seeing God's encouragement in the flesh. Paul said, yes, Jesus, you came down into my affliction. 
and you encouraged me. And even after that, I still nailed you to the cross. Even after that, I still rejected you. I still persecuted your church. But once he realized that he could still be encouraged by Jesus, even after all of that, he realized that he could encourage other believers too. Because Paul was never encouraged based on how good he was. Paul was encouraged based on how loved he was. Even after everything that Paul did, God still said, I love you and care about you. Paul, you're the one lost sheep out of 100, and I'm leaving all of 99 behind to go look for you. Paul said, I can comfort you in your afflictions because I've been comforted in my afflictions. I can encourage you because I'm encouraged. The reason that all of these things happened, the reason that all of these people spoke to the Hellenists, the reason that Rachel Scott's mother comforted Sue Klebold, the reason those people visited me in the hospital was because they were encouraged by Jesus. They knew Jesus. They had hope and faith and joy in Jesus. And when we experience that, when we have that, we can give it. When we see Jesus and know that he went into our affliction to encourage us, then we can go into other people's affliction to comfort and encourage them. When we see Jesus, not only can we become believers, we can become encouraging believers. We can be encouraging Believers, because we believe in the ultimate encouragement. We believe in the greatest encouragement that has ever existed. And that encouragement is Jesus. And when you share Jesus with others, you show them your encouragement. You show them the source of your strength and your joy and your hope and your courage. And you can have that joy, strength and hope and courage in Jesus. That is your source. That is the power of all of your encouragement. It's your encouragement in Jesus. And out of that power, you can go and empower others. You can encourage others as an encouraging believer. Let's pray. God, we are so often discouraged in life. So many times we're running on empty when it comes to encouragement. But God, I pray that we would look to your scriptures, we would read your word, we would be encouraged. I pray that we would pray to you daily, pour out our hearts to you daily, and be encouraged that you're listening to us. I pray that we would go to church, find community of believers to encourage us. And I pray that we would look out for people in our community of faith who need encouragement and encourage them, God, because we have been encouraged by you. Thank you, God, so much for comforting us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. We love you so much, God, but only because you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.